G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Realfaith.org.au Realfaith.org.au I started going out, partying and all that sort of stuff and it got to the point where I ended up getting involved in, in dealing drugs as well as taking drugs and then from there it was a matter of progressing to a point where I was almost not just being part of a criminal network but I ended up running as, as what the police would say a, a so-called syndicate. Welcome to Real Faith, conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through, helping us today and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's real people, real life and real faith with Eric Scadabo. At one point in Gerald Braz's life, he found himself in prison because of crimes he had committed to fund his drug habit. Fast forward to today and his life has completely turned around to the point where he is now helping other ex-prisoners. What brought about such a big transformation in his life? We'll find out today as Gerald shares his journey from prisoner to pastor. Gerald Bross, welcome to the program. Thanks, Eric. It's great to be on the show and uh, what an honor it is to be able to uh, be here with you. Thanks. Glad to have you with us. And I'm looking forward to hearing the tremendous way that you have changed so radically from having a troubled past and being in prison to the point now where you're helping others. So really want to hear how God worked in your life to bring about all that change. And let's start off at the very beginning, your childhood. What was it like? Where were you born and raised? I was actually born in Melbourne um, in Mm -hmm. 1979. And um, I was there for about until I was six years old. And um, We'd, my parents decided to move to Brisbane um, due to dad's bad asthma and, um, and health conditions. So we, we moved to Brisbane and I grew up in Brisbane um, from there on. And mum and dad, dad comes from a, um, a Catholic background, so does my mum. And um, I started off going to a uh, primary school, a Catholic primary school, where I sort of learnt a little bit about things from the Bible and about Jesus. But uh, I wasn't really following. Um, I didn't really believe in my heart. And um, a lot of that I just thought was just stories. And so I was just plodding along through primary school and um, as, as a, in a Catholic primary school. And then I also went into a, eventually a Catholic uh, high school. And it was the same sort of thing there too. Okay. So a generally happy childhood, would you say? Uh, the family life was okay. But um, in in primary school, I didn't really have that many friends, um, and then in high school probably got worse because I, I was never really good at anything, um, no matter what subject it was, no matter what sport it was. I was probably I liked soccer, and so even in primary school I played soccer, but um, I, I could never. I was reasonably okay, but uh, could never be that good at anything, and so I had a lot of self-esteem issues, and I had a mm. lot of um, confidence issues as well. So I was very, um, wasn't confident, a lot of self-condemnation, um, and especially in high school, that sort of got worse as um, I was just sort of being rejected more. And, and, and so I come to know all about rejection 
especially mm. in high school, being never good at anything. And there was, you know, a lot of bullying going on too at the high school I was at. And so mm-hmm. so I was picked on here and there. And, um, yeah, so so probably, you know, grade 10, 11, and 12 weren't very good years for me because it was that constant um, bullying, pressure, and um, never succeeding. And I just, you know, didn't have any value in myself. And, and the, the bullying actually sort of got to the point where I was just thinking I was inferior and thinking that mm-hmm. I was just uh, – useless and a nobody and so um it, it sort of yeah it got pretty bad where i didn't even want to go to school anymore i even asked dad i said look you know can you can we change schools can you can you get me out of the school can i go somewhere else and and um you know he was really big on me studying and and and, and finishing my grade 12 to go on to uni but that didn't happen because of the um i guess the depression that i was probably in and um, mm. it was, yeah, it was just a, a vicious cycle. It just got worse and worse as, as time went on and, and even after I finished high school. So, yeah. Yeah, so what were the main things that they were kind of picking on you about? Um, I, I think because the, the, the high school at the time um, – with my ethnic appearance, um, it wasn't a very multicultural school. And so um, back in those days, yeah, it was sort of a um, – you'd, you'd get picked on due to race and things like that. And so that was that was part of it, but also the Okay, this is this is radio. So what is your ethnic appearance? Oh, so um, I look um, Mediterranean slash Middle Eastern. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's a, so, um, so, so because of that, it was a – it was a, a, a school, not just where I was picked on because of that, but also because I wasn't really, I had no f- real friends um, and it was mm. hard to have friends there. And yeah, so it was, it was quite quite challenging in those days. Okay. So I imagine you were happy to get out of high school. Then yeah. what happened next in your life? Yeah. So I, I went to TAFE after high school and I started meeting mm-hmm. other friends and um, and things sort of changed a bit where I sort of, you know, I had some friends, I was going to TAFE, I started going out, partying and all that sort of stuff and it got to the point where I was actually mixing with the wrong crowd and, um, you know, I had a lot of these self-esteem issues um, mm-hmm. and, and everything else and so I, I, I wanted to belong and mm-hmm. um, it got to the point where I ended up getting involved in, in dealing drugs as well as taking drugs and then from there, it was a matter of progressing to a point where I was almost not just being part of a criminal network, but I end up sort of rising up through the network to almost graduate to a position of, of leadership. And uh, from there, I oh, actually wow. had, had people working for me and uh, running, as, as what the police would say, a, a so-called syndicate. And so from oh, there, wow. I, so, yep. so here it sounds like you hadn't had much success of any kind in your life in high school or in life in general, and suddenly you're successful, but it's at criminal activities. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I mean, is that kind of uh, what happened? Yeah, yeah. It's it started from from steroids. It then went to other drugs such as marijuana. Then from marijuana, it also then graduated to ecstasy tablets. Uh, from ecstasy tablets, it got into cocaine. And so these were all the drugs I was dabbling in and I was selling and I had people even working for me as well. And so it was a matter of, yeah, you know, you, you sort of – this was a gradual process probably over uh, a few years. But, um, yeah, it got to the point where I was, I was probably earning uh, around about nine, $10,000 a week back then. Um, oh wow! But but before and and that was you know plus other things that you know other criminal things that we were involved in at the time. Mm. 
And so I'm that, just curious yeah. to know what was going on inside of you when you're finally being successful at something. At the time, I think it was a matter of almost thinking, okay, well, I'm, I'm successful at this, and that was the lifestyle I was I wanted to live, and and I was very selfish. Um, I had a lot of anger and unresolved issues from still from high school and and mm. stuff and that and or and, from being picked on. Yeah, that that was still there, and plus there was a lot of mm. hatred as well. And so mm. I guess in internally I was living a life of where I I had a lot of hate, I had a lot of anger, and mm. you know hate and anger just grows; it doesn't get dealt with, and that just got yeah. worse and worse. And so it got to the point where being involved in drugs. You know, there was rivalries, there was fights, um, and and so there was yeah things got messy a lot of times where we'd clash with other people in this in the same drug industry and um, yeah there's a lot of violence involved and that just sort of made me worse because then mm. I became more revengeful and and wanted mm-hmm. to pay back and and you know eye for an eye so to speak and mm-hmm. yeah it um, it really escalated to it to a level where I was I was. Not just confused, but um, very angry, and just didn't care. Yeah, just just didn't mm. care about about life in general. So yeah. So at some point, the police started to have you on their radar as far as investigating what you were involved in. Yeah, um, they. The, 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 I got on their radar, you know, as as all this attention I was getting, and and I guess becoming popularity in the underworld, so to speak. And, um, you know, they began to uh, do an investigation on, on a few people at the time below me, which then led to me. And so the investigation became a lot broader, where they then began a six-month operation um, with being me being the target and trying to mm-hmm. uh, catch me and all the people underneath me and associated with me. And that was a, a six-month uh, round-the-clock investigation um, involving close to 40 police officers. And um, it cost, I think, oh, wow. it cost $2.5 million uh, for the operation um, to the end. And, yeah, so there was uh, phone conversations. Uh, so all our phones were monitored. Um, every mm-hmm. single text and conversation was recorded and printed. And there was surveillance, constant surveillance wherever I went. And so they've got video footage, and and that was that was to um, to to build their case for mm-hmm. um, commercial quantity drug trafficking, and um, they basically um, eventually came one day, and and I was raided, and they had all the charges, and uh, I I thought, oh wow, this is uh, this is full on, you know. And so, uh, did you know you were being monitored? Not really. I I've probably saw a few unmarked police cars following me a couple of times, but I, I, I thought maybe it's just coincidence that it's just a unmarked Camry driving here mm-hmm. and there. But um, a lot of times I we had no idea, especially the other guys. They had no idea. And so even when we would go to the nightclubs, they came into the nightclubs and um, we were in the nightclubs as well, and we didn't even know that they were in the nightclubs. So, I mean, it's, it's dark. There's people everywhere. Um, you just, yeah. And... Being out of your mind and, and, and not really being alert and sober-minded, it was just, yeah, you couldn't pick up on that sort of stuff. So how did you react to being arrested? Uh, well, I'd been arrested a few times previously for smaller charges, um, and, but but never any prison time. But this was a, a big operation, a big sting, and so uh, I sort of thought, oh, well, this is 
pretty heavy in the, and they're asking for 10 years um, for commercial quantity wow. drug trafficking. Yeah. And uh, they had me on that many transactions. Uh, so I went into Arthur Gorey Correctional Center because I couldn't get bail and I spent six mm-hmm. months on remand and not knowing what was going to happen. Uh, but I, I had a lot of guilt and I had a lot of shame and there was still some anger there too. But um, it was it was funny because I had sort of lost everything. I lost my apartments. Um, they confiscated all my money, basically. Um, my girlfriend at the time left me as well. So it was a it was a sort of a big loss to lose almost everything straight away. Um, wow. In, in, in that was a wake-up call, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it was a big wake-up call. Yeah. Our guest today is Gerald Ross, who's sharing about his journey from being a prisoner to being a pastor. We'll hear more about this amazing transformation in his life when we return right here on Real Faith. The Word for Today is Australia's most widely read daily devotional, designed to give you practical teaching to keep you focused on your relationship with Jesus. Read it online or subscribe to the free printed edition at thewordfortoday.com.au. You're listening to Real Faith, conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. Once again, that's realfaith.org.au. Welcome back. I'm Eric Scadabo, and today I'm chatting with Gerald Ross, who at one point in his life found himself in prison because he had gotten caught up in a life of crime. But, as we'll hear, Guy got a hold of his heart and completely turned his life around. Now, here's more of Gerald sharing his story. So now, at this point, you're sitting in jail, awaiting your trial. Yes. And were you thinking, "Eh, maybe I need to make some changes in my life? Yeah, yeah. I I, I met a prison chaplain that would come in and do the rounds every Thursday, and there was a few mm-hmm. prison chaplains that go into into the jails, and we we sort of just got talking one day, and uh, he was telling me that you know you don't have to live your life like this, and I said mm-hmm. okay, and he said to me you know um, Jesus promises you a, a, a better life, and I, I sort of the first thing I said to him was well you don't know how much what sort of a mess I'm in, and you don't mm-hmm. know all the things I've done. And he said, "Yeah, but Jesus can forgive you for all that." And and I just said, "The stuff that I've done, and I, I didn't believe that I could be forgiven." And and I guess the, the the prison mentality is that you know there's a lot of condemnation and guilt, and so it's mm-hmm. it's hard to sort of think that oh, okay, I can be there can be some positive change because it's a very negative environment in prison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, when he started talking to me about the Bible and about Jesus and and some of the wonderful things about Jesus, I, I I had a lot of questions, and I was questioning him over a series of a few weeks. And he started talking about God's grace, and I couldn't understand it. I was, I was like, well, how do, what's, this, what's this grace thing all about? I, I can't understand yeah. this grace. And so, mm-hmm. and he said, you know, it's, it's unmerited power and favor of God that He pours upon you when you trust Him and you turn to Him. He pours out His grace, and you know, that, that, that's how He can forgive you for all your past, present, and future sins. And so I. Mm-hmm. I really I struggled with that for a little bit and questioned it, and um, because I just hadn't heard of what grace was, even going to a a Catholic primary school, um, I didn't understand or didn't really hear much about God's grace. And mm-hmm. so, 
once you explain God's grace and that I can be forgiven for all my past sin and God can change my life and turn my life around, you know, when I when I understood the, the heart of the gospel, I then decided to give this life, that old life away, turn from that life and repent and follow Jesus. And so one day I in my cell I, I prayed one night and I had, I had a Bible the chaplain had given me and um, I was going through bits and pieces over time, but one day I made that commitment to turn from the lifestyle I was living and, and follow Jesus. And uh, even though I had made so much mess and so much um, devastation and upset many people, especially my family, of course. And uh, mm-hmm. I just thought, you know what, I don't want this life anymore. I want, you know, what Jesus has to offer, his grace, is um, is an amazing thing. And because of who Jesus is and what he's done, I was just wrapped by that and so overwhelmed by that that I chose to follow him. Wow, that's fantastic. I mean, let's just go back to your initial impressions on grace. You know, you thought you were beyond grace. You thought you were beyond being redeemed, I guess. Yes. You just thought that what you had done was just too bad. There's just no way there could be forgiveness for the bad things I had done. That's right. Is that kind of where you were at at that point? Yeah, that's correct. And then the chaplain is telling you, no, no, nobody's beyond God's grace. Nobody's beyond hope. So that must have been fantastic, wonderful news for you to hear that, no, no, there is hope. So that just kind of kind of put a spark into your life, would you say? Yes, it did. It really did because, you know, here I was at a point of having no hope and, yeah. and having, you know, this big massive 10-year sentence coming my way, possibly even mm-hmm. more. And yeah. um, I was thinking to myself, well, you know, there's no hope. I'm going to be doing a long time in prison and um, the, my, my life is going to probably just get worse and get more involved in drugs and all sorts of stuff. And um, here is this chaplain who's telling me about Jesus, who's preaching the word and telling me that not only is there grace, but there is a hope and there is a future. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, God's got that all prepared and planned for me. And so I was thinking, wow, that's uh, that's un- unbelievable. And so um, it almost sounded too good to be true in, in some mm-hmm. way, uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah. but that's the gospel, the good news of, of God's grace. And so, uh, yeah, yeah I, I began to realize then, you know, hope is in Christ, hope is in Jesus as we put our faith and trust in him. So then from that point forward, when you put your faith in Jesus inside your change, your new creation, yes. uh, but yet you're still physically in prison. Now you had the trial. I assume you were found guilty. Well, yeah, I, I spent six months on remand in the remand mm-hmm. center, prison center. And at the time, for some strange, well, I was applying for Supreme Court bail. Um, and at the time I was already rejected Supreme Court bail initially. I was rejected in every court, basically, including the Supreme Court. And so I applied for Supreme Court bail after six months. And um, quite interesting how it all worked out because uh, we we prayed about it and um, the prosecutor didn't oppose the bail and uh, the judge in the magistrate court, for some reason, didn't know that I was already rejected in the Supreme Court. And so uh, he had, didn't know about it for some reason. Otherwise, if he did, he would have said, no way. Supreme Court's already said no five months ago, so you're definitely not going to be. And so for some reason, yeah, the, that guy, I think, got involved there and uh, I got Supreme Court bail. I was, I was on bail for about uh, nearly 20 months where I, mm-hmm. I was – continuing to meet with uh, a prison chaplain and some of his Christian friends. And uh, there was a little bit of discipleship there, and we were doing some Bible study for a while, and I, I started 
studying and working as well for a little bit until I had to, I was uh, coming up to my sentence date and uh, that was, I was looking at about, um, they, they wanted 10 years still and mm-hmm. so on the sentence day, I pled guilty to most of the charges. Um, there was a few that uh, they, they had dropped at the time and um, I was sentenced to seven and a half years to serve and uh, two and a half years is served in prison and the rest mm-hmm. of it, five years will be served on parole in the community. Mm-hmm. And so uh, from there, I, I went back into prison for two and a half years. And it was, um, I had a lot of confidence. And um, some people think, oh, gee, you know, you're doing two and a half, you're facing two and a half years. Uh, I just had this peace knowing that the Lord was going to bring me through it, knowing that the Lord mm. was going to do amazing things through that and uh, meet wonderful people through chaplains and other people through that and be able to minister to some of the others. And um, the two and a half years did go fairly quickly. I was I was working and studying in prison. Uh, I did a diploma in workplace health and safety. Plus, I was oh, wow. um, I was attending also the uh, chapel services they had probably three times a week in mm-hmm. in this low custody uh, prison. And um, I met some more chaplains there, and um, who have become uh, one of them has become a mentor for me, and uh, mm-hmm. he really helped me for when I got out as well. And um, he got me involved in in saying, "Hey, we're, we're, I'm starting a uh, a prison ministry post release support." And I said, "Oh, what's what's that all about?" And he explained to me, you know, the the vision that God had given him, and so he wanted to set up a a program to help mentoring to help with jobs, skills, uh, accommodation, and uh, and even having a, a church group. And so he eventually started the Restore Support Group. And uh, mm-hmm. from there, we, it also led to starting a Restore Church, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a almost like a chapel service every Saturday afternoon. And it's, it's the same as a, a prison chapel service, where it's just a, a small gathering, uh, where people can come together and uh, not just uh, it, it creates an environment of people being inclusive where mm-hmm. people can share their struggles, share their victories, and share the testimonies of what God's doing in their life. And um, now I was gonna I was gonna ask you, you know, you're out of prison at this point. Yep. So you could say, hey, I don't want to go anywhere near prison. You know, that's done over with for me. Yes. But it sounds like you were so hungry to grow, you also had a hunger to help others. Is that right? Yeah. A lot of guys I knew who got out of prison, that was their mentality where they, they don't want to have anything to do with prison to the point where mm-hmm. they would be friends with people in prison. But it's, when they get out, a lot of guys can be ashamed of it and carry this shame and, and you know, they just cut everyone off. Um, that's, yeah. Some people do that. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I, I chose. I didn't want to do that because uh, Lord was putting on my heart to get involved and in, in helping to share others and give others a hope, give others, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the grace of God and and the gospel of Jesus and and share what He's done in in my life. Because if He can turn my life around, He can turn everyone's life around. And so, yeah, share that hope. Yeah, so so um, I was just really encouraged by the Lord to share that with others and be involved in, in doing that and helping other people as well. And then at some point, you decided to take it to the next level and get involved in ministry and become a pastor? Yeah, yeah. Um, so with the Restore Ministry, once that was up and running, they, they said to me, well, you know, we, we need to have sort of a pastor to run the chapel service on a Saturday. 
And uh, they said, look, pray about it. And I did. And the Lord put, had put on my heart to um, be involved in, in pastoring a church, a, a small church, um, especially one, guys that come from a uh, men and women that come from a, a jail background or a homeless background. And it was a long process to be voted in and be called. Um, it wasn't just a, a overnight thing where, yeah, okay, Joe, you're going to be the pastor. They had a lot of meetings and, and elders meetings and um, mm-hmm. had to vote about that as well. Um, but when, when I was still in prison, one of the chaplains, he said to me, you know, you're going to – it's almost like he prophesied. He said, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to be a um, – he was calling me pastor at the time, and I was like, "I'm not. A, I'm not a pastor. I'm, I'm, I'm a huh. prisoner in jail." He said, no, "I can see God doing amazing things through you, so you'll be you'll be pastoring people." And at the time, I was I was my my view was, I don't want to be a pastor. I, I've I've just finished my diploma in health and safety. I want to try and get huh. into the uh, workplace health and safety industry, uh, not pastoring a church or anything. And so that was kind of where I wanted to go. But the Lord had other plans for me. And yeah. and he could already this chaplain could already see that initially when we first had sort of met in prison, and um, I didn't you know I didn't know at the time where that was going to go, but uh, the Lord's engineered the circumstances and He's called me into this ministry, and uh, from there yeah I, I I sort of started to believe the chaplain when he started the restore ministry, and and uh, he eventually said to me God has called you into this and. Um, and he said, pray about it, and so I did. And long story short, eventually I, I um, got involved in the pastoral care team. I enrolled in a Christian ministries theology course, which I'm still going through at the moment. And for the last three years, I've been the pastor of the Restore Church. And um, we've, we're linked up with all the most of the prison chaplains in jail and uh, mm-hmm. letting them know that we, we've got brochures that we that they give to people who are about to get released. If they want help Mm -hmm. and support, they're free to contact us. Yeah, that is so fantastic. I mean, you've gone from prisoner to pastor, specifically a pastor serving ex-prisoners. Yes. And helping them have the hope and the turnaround in their lives that you've had in your life. Yes. Gerald Ross, thank you so much for sharing the wonderful journey you've been on and continue to be on. Thank you for sharing your story with us today. Thank you, Eric. Pleasure. Our guest today has been Gerald Ross, who's had a wonderful journey from prisoner to pastor. And as we've heard, he's the fruit of a prison chaplaincy ministry. And to find out more about prison chaplaincy, you can go to the website, insideoutchaplaincy.org.au. That's insideoutchaplaincy.org.au. And on that website, you can read Gerald's story. You've been listening to Real Faith. And if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a message through our website, realfaith.org.au. That's realfaith.org.au. Real Faith is a production of Vision Christian Media. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.